You are listening to John Diard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, welcome to part one of our free training on meditation. You know, the first question you might ask is why do I need to meditate? And I think the answer to that is we live in a stressful world. I think most of us know that life is very stressful. Ancient humans may have gotten chased by a lion once in a while, but we're chased by a chronic lion every single day of our life, 24 seven. The stress seems to never go away. You know, when people can't sleep at night, which is epidemic in our culture, it's because the cortisol, the stress-fighting hormones that are supposed to settle down at night, they never settle down because we're under so much stress throughout the day and then we can't sleep at night. We have a situation where our bodies are, are incessantly thinking, worrying, handling stress, dealing with that, never able to settle down. We know a couple of things now. When you're under that kind of stress, that stress is processed through your intestinal tract. We know that 95% of your serotonin and many other neurotransmitters like dopamine are manufactured in your gut. And they're manufactured by microbes, which make up about 90% of the cells of the human body, and manufacture the, the uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, and do the heavy lifting for most of our physiological function, like our immune system and our mental health. They know that if you take certain probiotics, that it helps you support mental clarity and less anxiety. They know now that they can measure the microbes of a young child and they can determine based on the microbes that they see what type of brain function they're gonna have as an adult. Are they gonna be a scientist? Are they gonna be a artist? They can tell by the microbes because the microbes affect our mind and there's many pathways that it takes. There's a nerve called our vagus nerve that goes from our gut to our brain and there are other pathways as well that we're only beginning to discover. We now know that when you're under a lot of stress, your good microbes go south and your bad microbes go north. We know that if you take the poop out of a out of an anxious mouse and put it into a calm mouse, the calm mouse gets anxious. We know that your microbes affect your mental clarity and your composure and your calm. We know that when you're under a lot of stress, those good bugs go south and we become vulnerable to all types of disorders, mental, emotional, as well as physical complaints or conditions. So why meditate? Well, more than ever, learning how to turn off your mind, the crazy incessant thinking, will allow us to sever the relationship between excess stress pounding away at your intestinal tract, taking out your good bugs, taking out your neurotransmitters, taking out the, the, you know, the bug's ability to, to do the support and the heavy lifting for most of our physiological function. We accelerate the aging process via stress. We've known that stress is the major cause of disease for, for many, many years. We are now beginning to really understand the well, more of the complete picture and mechanism of how that stress works. Now, meditation, you gotta know, is one of the most powerful and most researched and most well-documented and most well-studied techniques to reduce stress. And we know stress has so many impacts on our health that it's extremely valuable for us to learn how to still the mind, to silence the mind, to make the mind more like a calm lake. Most of us are, you know, are handling stress in such a way we feel exhausted throughout the day. We finish our day with feeling wasted, like we need to go home and go to sleep and recover from the long day. What if you were able to finish your day with the same energy as you started? What if you were able to handle stress throughout the day like water off a duck's back? What if you didn't need to crave dark chocolate or candy or coffee or different injectables, things that stimulate you to get through the day and you're able to do it fine? And I'm talking about secret injectables, sugar, a donut, bread, coffee, tea, shopping, candy, popcorn, even just going to the movies. How many things do we do throughout the day to stimulate us in a way that satisfies us in some way. How is it that we're not able to be satisfied on our own? Is that something that we can achieve? You know, our culture has created a situation where people are so overstimulated that they've activated a hormone called, uh, a neurotransmitter called dopamine, 
And dopamine is a chemical that is the I gotta have it right now hormone. And our culture is sort of swung in this direction of I gotta have it right now. I gotta have more money, I gotta shop, I gotta have that car, I gotta have that, that new pair of shoes, I have to have what seems, to, everybody else seems to have, the new iPhone, I have to have it right now to be satisfied. And we go into debt to get it. And the mind has become addicted to that stimulating hormone to the point where, you know, we idolize athletics who do extreme things, risk their lives, base jump off of skyscrapers, you know, jump off of big, huge cliffs to stimulate this dopamine within themselves, which they get, you know, high from for just a couple of seconds and risk their life for it. When, when you meditate, you can literally produce the same brain chemistry by actually meditating. Now, it's not gonna make for the greatest story in the bar or in the nightclub that night, but it's something that is sustainable. Most of these extreme athletes where they're doing such extreme sports to, uh, to somehow gain and experience this runner's high, this zone, this euphoric experience that we idolize, most of these athletes are risking their life and, and many of them actually die in the process. And if they don't die in the process, as they get older, they beat themselves up so much that their body becomes so old before it's time that they can't support that kind of activity to get the same juice so they go into a depression. This has actually been well documented. Our pendulum in our culture has shifted in a direction that I think is dangerous. And I think that we've lost something. I like to call it the eye of the hurricane, the calm. The bigger the calm, the more powerful the wind. And I think that we can create that inner calm. And there are many ways to do it. My first book, Body, Mind, and Sport, was all about reproducing the runner's high by using nasal breathing techniques, which I'm gonna talk about as I teach you a meditation today in this class of how to use breathing techniques to still your mind and to drop into a meditative state and to produce the eye of the hurricane. Remember, the bigger the eye of the hurricane, the more powerful the winds, the more productive you can be. Most of us, I would say, are living in the winds of the hurricane, feeling the stress of those winds, dodging refrigerators in those winds, feeling exhausted at the end of their day. What if I could tell you you could, you could finish your day with the same energy as you started and wake up feeling incredibly refreshed and not feeling raced or rushed or stressed out throughout your day, not feeling anxious about certain things that when you were younger in your 20s, it didn't seem to matter. But now our body has been, is unable to handle the stress the way it once did. We can reset that. We can rebuild the nervous system's reserve of handling stress by dipping the cloth in the dye of your own silence, the own, your own eye of the hurricane. But we have to want to create it. Our dopamine receptors want us to go out here and stimulate ourselves to get it. But the more you stimulate that dopamine to get that high, which we do, the more of a stimulant that you need. When you go shopping, for example, your dopamine levels begin to rise and begin to rise. And as you shop for the pair of shoes and you try a couple on, your dopamine levels are starting to peak and you're getting excited and feeling really high in this whole process. And then when you finally pick out that perfect pair of shoes and you take it to the counter and you swipe your card and you buy those shoes, your dopamine levels plummet. And you feel, wow, what just happened? I feel sort of, I lost that, that juice. So the brain then says, ooh boy, and it pulls down the menu of how do I get myself back up to that mountaintop that I was just on that felt so good, that high. We're all kind of crazy drug addicts in our own way. And then the brain pulls down the menu and says, well, I remember I passed a Starbucks, I remember that logo, and there was a Mrs. Fields, and there was a Cinnabon, and, 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 and you say to your friend, boy, would you like a latte? Next thing you know, you're walking towards the Starbucks you saw on the way in and your dopamine levels begin to rise again. But here's the problem. The next time you want to get that high, you need you know, a double shot latte. You need uh, a, a, a couple of pair of shoes or a more expensive pair of shoes. And again, we find ourselves going into debt, doing whatever we can to stimulate ourselves to get that satisfaction, but it's, it's limited. We cannot produce enough of it to sustain ourselves. Now, there is a hormone called oxytocin, which gives you the exact same high, the exact same juice, but it doesn't deplete. The more you stimulate dopamine, the bigger the stimulant you need, and we wear out and burn out and exhaust ourselves and even risk our life. 
Oxytocin is a different kind of hormone. It's a love, bonding, giving. They call it the, the philanthropic high. When people give, they get high. They produce oxytocin. It's a chemical that's produced when a mother gives birth and, and it surges in the baby and in the dad and in the mom and they bond for life and they, and they, and they feel this oxytocin connection throughout their life. They care and they love each other in a powerful, powerful way. So this is something that, that um, we can produce on a regular basis by learning how to still our mind, learning how to meditate, learning how to uh, become more established in the eye of the hurricane. There's an old saying that says, that says um, first establish being the calm, the eye of the hurricane, and then perform action. It's an old Vedic saying. And it's the, it's the point of the whole thing. You know, everything in nature, you know, has, has this kind of ability to experience what I call the coexistence of opposites. The sun sits still and planets spin around it. It does nothing and accomplishes everything. And this atom sits still with a nucleus, sits still in an atom and electrons and protons seem to spin around it. A hurricane spins around the silent center. We are sort of microcosms of these powerful forces of nature. And if we can experience that internal experience of calm, I really believe there's, there's nothing that we can't do. I believe that the human body is unlimited in potential, but it's limited by stress. And if we keep pushing the body into stress and then have to recover from that stress and then push it again and recover and push it again, we're going to build up a level of stress that will eventually break our body down. We know now that that'll take out your gut bugs, your microbes, your neurotransmitters, your immune system, and most of the, of the physiological functions in your body that support optimal health. We know that that's a fact. We know that when you're under a lot of stress, whether, uh, chronic stress, when you're sitting next to someone that you don't like, when you're involved in a situation where you're stressed out with a mother-in-law or a sister or a brother or a family member, and it really irks you, we all now know that that is, and a real science supports that that stress will, will take out your good health and your immunity. There's now well-documented scientific pathways. So more than ever, we have to learn how to still our mind. We have to learn how to turn off this crazy brain of ours. And the more stressed we are, the more we think and the more we worry. And, and one of the mechanisms for that is that when you're under a lot of stress, we take an upper chest breath, we gasp for air. And most of us start walking around breathing like little rabbits, little tiny shallow breaths in and little tiny shallow breaths out. Well, it turns out that there's receptors in the upper chest, which are called stress receptors. So if you saw a bear in the woods, you would take a upper chest gasping breath that would tell your body life's an emergency, get you up a tree and save your life. The receptors that predominate in the lower lobes of your lungs, which we rarely breathe into, are calming, repair, rejuvenative receptors. So when you breathe through your nose in particular, you drive air all the way down through these turbines, turbinates in your nose, and drive them all the way down into the lower lobes of your lungs. And those lower lungs are where, lungs are where 80% of your blood is, 60 to 80% of the blood is. The blood sort of is a gravity-fed system. It hangs out in the lower part of the lungs. So the potential for great oxygen exchange and waste removal happens most efficiently in the lower lobes of your lungs. But most of us, because we breathe like rabbits, we're under a lot of stress, 26,000 emergency breaths a day we take, little tiny shallow rabbit breaths. The rib cage also has a thing called the elastic recoil. It wants to squeeze on your heart and your lungs, 26,000 breaths per day. That's what we experience when we're living our daily life. If we're under a lot of stress, have been emotionally traumatized, right? And all of us have experienced something along those lines. The rib cage becomes tight and we start breathing like a rabbit, activating 26 little emergency messages all day long, which tell your brain that life is an emergency and we stay in this incessant pattern of thinking and worrying and stressing and stressing. And that stress takes out our, is processed through our gut, takes out our good bugs and our good bugs take out, again, our neurotransmitters that support how we think and function and maintain a level of composure and calm in our nervous system. It's really quite simple, really. So again, why not learn how to still our mind? Well, one of the most powerful techniques to do that is your breath. So in this meditation that I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you how to breathe through your nose and learn how to still your mind through your nose. 
In fact, we have a, this is the first meditation in our meditation course called the Transformational Awareness Technique. And the first technique to use meditation as a transformational technique is in fact to learn how to still your mind. And the best way to do that, the best anchor for all this crazy incessant thinking is to breathe through your nose. And that's my first book, Body, Mind, and Sport, was all about learning how to exercise breathing through your nose. And we prove that when you exercise and breathe through your nose, that the brain goes into an alpha meditative calm state during vigorous exercise. That was pretty cool. And when you <gasps> open your mouth and huff and puff when you exercise, the brain goes into a beta stressed out state during exercise. So my goal in my first book was, why don't we teach people how to use exercise as a model for handling stress from a calm place. Again, the bigger the eye of the hurricane, the more powerful the winds. So I guess my goal was to reproduce that thing called the runner's high. That thing athletes say was my best race was my easiest race. But that can happen in every aspect of your life, not just while you're running or, or skydiving or something. It can happen while you're writing, while you're reading, while you're playing the flute. It can happen in your life while you're interacting with your family. It's, it's, it can happen throughout your life. And that's the goal of meditation, is to take that calm, establish a level of being, a big eye of the hurricane that you can hail from, and then from that place, experience dynamic activity in your life, but not be taken out by it, not be exhausted by it. This is the power of meditation. So instead of stimulating yourself with more caffeine, and more stimulating behavior to get through the day and get juiced or get high or get through it, why not start to dip the cloth in the dye of your real power and establish that inner composure and calm? That's what we're here to do. And if you do that, you'll find the need for the shopping, the need for the, the stimulation and the caffeine will disappear because you're establishing it and creating it yourself with a hormone that's completely different than the, than the self-limiting hormone of dopamine, this non-exhaustive hormone oxytocin. The more that you give in love and bond and create that silence, the more you produce. There's no limit to how much you can produce of the oxytocin. That's the really cool thing. So on one hand, we have this pendulum shifted, this extreme way of life that we've created on this planet in our culture. On the other hand, is this old, old knowledge of becoming still inside yourself. Yeah, it takes a little practice. You know, lots of folks come to me and say, I try meditating and I can't do it. And I just keep thinking, 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 and I can't stop. And, and I just finally gave up. And that's why one of the reasons why I created the Transformational Awareness Technique. And this first meditation I'm gonna teach you right now is a meditation that's gonna allow you to, for everyone to experience the benefit of meditation because we're gonna use a breathing technique to, to put oxygen into your brain. And when oxygen goes into your brain, the brain's gonna feel like, whoa, I'm not gonna suffocate. I don't have to worry and incessantly think. I can still myself and be calm. That's the value of this first meditation. And the first couple of meditations that I teach in this class, and this is this transformation awareness technique is six meditations for emotional freedom. The goal of my course is not just to get you to meditate and still your mind, I want that. I want you to have that experience. But also I want you to take that calm with you and transform your life. And I think you all know that it's this crazy mind of ours, these emotional patterns of behavior that we know pound away at our gut and take out our bugs and do all that. We know how it works now. We know that that stress uh, is incessant. And we know that when we're under a lot of stress, it takes our body out. So when you learn to meditate, you learn how to still your mind and be able to handle stress like water off a duck's back. That's what we're going to do. And then take that awareness with you into your life so you can transform these old mental and emotional patterns of behavior that aren't serving you any longer. And that is gonna be the topic of part two in this series on, uh, on how to meditate. And I'll teach you another meditation in part two. But here in part one, I wanna teach you how to create that eye of the hurricane, that eye of the storm. And it's gonna be done with breathing. The more that you breathe, the more you pump oxygen and prana into your brain. And many of us breathe like little tiny rabbits, shallow breaths. We are not oxygenating ourselves in an efficient manner. We don't use all five lobes of our lungs. 
most of the, and I can go on and on about this, but one of the, the reasons why we, we, we don't get the benefit from breathing is because breathing is a detoxifying waste removal technique as much as it is an oxygen in technique, it's a waste out technique. And if we don't breathe into the lower lobes of our lungs, we don't exchange the waste as efficiently as we can. And that can build up on our body and compromise our, our ability ultimately to get the oxygen into the deep tissues and we begin to start to become tired and lethargic and unable again to handle stress. So the breathing is gonna pump oxygen, Ayurveda calls it life force or prana into the brain. And we're gonna, we're gonna give that, that, um, that oxygen the ability to calm yourself down. And this first technique is one I've been teaching for years. It's called the one minute meditation. So it's a very simple technique. And we're gonna do it now. We can sit together, um, sit with your sort of back straight. And you're gonna breathe through your nose, in and out through your nose, like a bellows, in through the lower, middle, upper chest. In. Very simple. You do that for about 30 seconds, which is almost 30 breaths and you're gonna sit still for 30 seconds. You can do this meditation uh, anytime. You can do it in your car, you can do it in your office. I encourage you to do this meditation, uh, it takes a minute, right? Do it before you go into the office, when you wake up in the morning, before you go to bed, uh, before you, when you go to get gas, you can get the pump in, you can sit there and you can close the door and breathe and be still. Before you go into the grocery store, before, when you're in the office, close the door, sit, put a sticky note on your, on, your, uh, on your computer or in your car dashboard and said breathe or one minute meditation. In two days, I'm, we're gonna give you part two of this, of this free meditation course. And uh, I challenge you in the next two days to do this one minute meditation five to 10 times a day. And if, I promise you, if you don't feel a significant difference in how you're feeling composed and calm and handling stress, then, then I don't know what to tell you. I, I've been teaching this thing for so many years and I've just seen so many miracles. It really change your life miracles by people learning how to use this technique. And in the beginning, breathing is a powerful anchor to turn, to help the brain get used to going down to the bottom of the leg and feeling that composure and calm. We want an anchor to take the brain to that calm place. That's what we're gonna do with this first meditation is train the brain, which is so crazy and so wants to go stimulation and get stimulated by so many things. We have to use a powerful anchor like breathing to train it. And that's why people have difficulty just going into meditation because their brain just can't do that. So I give you six simple baby steps to learn and train your brain to be still, and then you can't just sit there and meditate. You gotta put it into action, and that's what I teach you in this transformational awareness technique is how to take this into transformational action. It's a powerful, powerful course. So here we go, the one minute meditation. We're gonna breathe for 30 seconds, and we're gonna be still. And remember, you got two days before the next class, I challenge you to do this five to 10 times a day, okay? All right, here we go, so we're gonna breathe deeply in and deeply out as you can for 30 breaths. Be still for 30 seconds. If you get a little dizzy, just back off. Usually the dizziness goes away in a day or two, so just know that that's because you're not used to carrying oxygen in your brain. And we're gonna retrain your brain how to do that, handle that, feel good with that, and be calm with that, okay? Here we go. So we're gonna breathe in. And just relax your breath and be still for 30 seconds.
take a big breath, slowly open your eyes. Become aware of how you feel, a little bit more calm, a little bit more silent. We just began the process of creating the eye of the hurricane. Now I want you to do that five to 10 times a day until I see you again and see if you can experience this calm, this eye of the hurricane, and take it with you into the day, resetting it along the way five to 10 times. All right, see you next time. Hi, welcome back to part two of our free video training on how to meditate. Now in part one, I hope you all watched that, I taught you how to do the one minute meditation where we use a breathing technique to ramp up the amount of oxygen, which is really carrying prana or life force into the brain. And when the brain gets more oxygen and more prana, it feels more composed and calm. It feels more stable, more able to handle stress like water off a duck's back. You may be, have begun to experience what I'm talking about when I say the eye of the hurricane, the ability to be composed and calm in the midst of your activity. And the more that you do it throughout the day, the more you can reset that experience of composure and calm. The one minute meditation is something you can do for the rest of your life. And I talked to you about this is part one or the first meditation in our six meditations for emotional freedom as part of our transformational awareness technique, meditation technique. This technique, I use it all the time. It's a fantastic reset to get you to be composed and calm. It's great even while you're playing tennis or, in, you know, or before a sporting event or before you're really going into a stressful situation like uh, asking your boss for a raise or something. Breathing and then being still doing one minute meditation can completely ratchet up the amount of oxygen prana carrying potential we have and the brain starts to be more calm. Breathing, like I said in part one, is a powerful anchor to help still the mind. And in the beginning, we need to really help train the mind that it is okay for us to be still, for us to be quiet, for us to be calm. And like I talked about in part one, we have created a culture where we're so addicted to stimulation that we're not sure that it's okay to be still. We don't feel safe when we're still. We feel safe when we're stimulated. And we have to reverse that trend to recondition and reset the brain to know that it is safe to be calm. That the eye of the hurricane is the source of my unlimited potential. And the more stressed out I become, the more I find myself dodging refrigerators in the winds of that hurricane and I feel exhausted and wasted and spent at the end of my day and I recover on the weekends and I'm exhausted at night and I can't even sleep at night and we just feel the aging process catching up with us and it doesn't have to be that way. And you know, Ayurveda is such a cool science because the whole thing is about teaching you how to become how to establish being and then perform action, how to live in that eye of the hurricane. There's an old saying that says, uh, uh, do less and accomplish more. And the, and the do less and accomplish more really means to, in a big part of the Ayurvedic model, is to live in harmony with the natural cycles, to go downstream with the current, to finish your day with the same energy as you started not to go against the grain of mother nature. It's a dangerous thing to do that. You know, I, I was reading in a, a study recently that I blogged about that animals in the, in the forest, herbivores like deer, for example, they eat barks and things in roots in the winter and they eat leafy greens in, in the spring and the summer. And their microbes in their gut change dramatically from being able to digest barks in the winter and leafy greens in the summer. And if you gave them leafy greens in the wintertime, it would create such an indigestion that it could literally kill them because they don't have the microbes to support that. Now I know that we are completely different, but if eating out of season against the grain of mother nature will kill a deer, does that mean that we can just eat anything we want whenever we want and have no connection to nature? You know, my, my second book, The Three Season Diet, was all about living in harmony and eating with these natural cycles. It's powerful. I can't even emphasize the value of learning how to reconnect with these cycles of nature. And as I talked about in part one, now that we understand our microbes and how the microbes in the deer change from season to season to season, if you eat the wrong food when the microbes aren't there, you're in big trouble if you're a deer. And we seem to be way more resilient, but are we? It's food for thought, right? 
And I, and I think that the, the point being is that do less and accomplish more means to live in harmony with the natural cycles. And I talk a lot about that, and I've, I've written, done videos and articles about how to do that. And I encourage you to, if you haven't heard that information, that's a powerful tool. We have a whole 28-day Ayurvedic lifestyle challenge, challenge where you actually are given a different Ayurvedic technique every day for 28 days to learn how to live in harmony with the natural cycles as a lifestyle with the current downstream so you feel energized at the end of your day. That's a powerful tool. I encourage you to, to learn about that and how to, how to, uh, how to connect with, with Mother Nature. It's just like so obvious, right? But the second, one of my second, my second most favorite quote that goes with the do less and accomplish more is do nothing and accomplish everything. What, what is that? Well, my best analogy for that is the sun. Okay, the sun sits there and it sort of does nothing and it seems to accomplish everything. Everything that we're doing here is because of the sun. No sun, this doesn't happen, right? So it sits there and does nothing and accomplishes everything. A nucleus of an atom sits there and does nothing and accomplishes everything. The eye of the hurricane sits there and does nothing and sort of destroys everything. Remember in part one, it's the coexistence of opposites. It's the ability to be dynamically active and composed at the same time. My first book, Body, Mind, Support, was about the runner's high. My best race was my easiest race. Roger Bannister, when he broke the four-minute mile, said the world seemed to stand still. He, felt I was, he said, I felt I was going slow, as if, I, as if there was no pain, as if I didn't even exist, he felt. He was in some crazy zone in the eye of the hurricane where he didn't feel like he was even running fast. This is the do-nothing and accomplishing everything model. And I think it's something I know that I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure that out. But I know that meditation is a key to the puzzle. That if we don't turn this off and learn how to create a nervous system that is still like a calm lake. So we can see the bottom of the lake. That the nervous system, the mind, the body, the emotions are still in calm. And in that stillness and in that calm, we have more clarity, more awareness to see old mental and emotional patterns of behavior. Our, our natural innate healing system can see and have the wherewithal to deal with stress issues and problems in this organ or that organ system and begin to heal itself. But if it's so stressed out, so busy, 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 thinking incessantly, it's constantly putting out fires, it doesn't have the inner awareness to create the action to heal, support, and repair the body and create transformational change. Stealing your mind is the tool for creating transformational change. And my meditation course, our six meditations of emotional freedom, is called the Transformational Awareness Technique. Why? Because I'm going to teach you how to create a level of awareness. And that's going to happen in the first three meditations. Uh, definitely in the first two, which I'm going to teach you the second meditation today of how to build on the one-minute meditation and create a deeper heightened level of awareness. When you still the mind and become a clear lake and you see the body can see more clearly what's inside, we have the ability then to have mental awareness, mental clarity, to see what our crazy mind has conjured up, mostly in the name of safety and security. And those old mental patterns of behavior are stored in our fat. They're molecules of emotion that have been well documented now by Candace Pert in her research at the National Institutes of Health. And she found out that there are molecules of emotion and that they are carried by peptides, little proteins in your body, all over your body. And they lodge in certain places in your body, your brain, your lungs, your spine, your skin, and your gut. Now, interestingly, when you think about Ayurveda for a second, Ayurveda is all about learning how to meditate, to still your mind where the receptors are lodged or concentrated in your brain. The breathing techniques I taught you in part one, and I'm gonna teach you more in, in part two of the meditation, the second meditation, are where the concentration of these emotional receptors are. Your skin, we know Ayurveda is all about doing oil, oil massages on your skin on a regular basis to feed the microbes on your skin. Your intestinal tract, you know, 85% of all imbalances are sourced in your digestion, according to Ayurveda. We're all about digestion, it's what I talk about a lot. And of course, your spine. Yoga and breathing are all about massaging and relaxing your spine. 
And they found out at the National Institutes of Health that these molecules of emotion use receptors that are also used by your psychology, your nervous system, which is huge, your endocrine system, all your hormones, and your immune system. And they called it an information network. And they said that if you have a blocked, pent up, unreleased old emotion, it'll block the flow of this information network and literally cause disease. Ayurveda said thousands of years ago, if you have a, of a blocked emotion, they called it mental ama, it'll block the flow of the subtle energy pathways in the body and literally cause disease. We now know that stress is what causes the body to store fat, and Ayurveda says that these emotions are stored in your fat. And when you, become a, when you de-stress your nervous system, the body feels safe to release these molecules of emotion, old mental patterns of behavior, so we have a level of clarity and a level of awareness to make transformational change. You cannot just do a meditation and sit there and meditate and not do anything with that awareness. You must take transformational action step. There's an old saying that says, there's an old saying that says, to the extent that something affects you is to the extent that it is your karma, your opportunity for a transformational awareness technique. Your, if it affects you, it's your action. Karma means action. So you can't just sit there and meditate. You have to meditate, create the awareness, and then take action. First establish being, and then perform action, and we can transform. We have created old neurological patterns in our brain that drive down that we drive down on a regular basis based on how we grew up and the stresses that we had as a kid and the patterns of behavior being a perfectionist or a straight-A student or a pleaser or a fixer or a control freak. We all created patterns and they're four-lane highways with lights on them. And when we get stressed out, and even when we don't get stressed out, many of us are just driving down those same four-lane highways. Many of you are becoming aware of the fact that those highways aren't working for you any longer. And we can lay down new pavement. We can create new neural pathways. Instead of activating dopamine, which we talked about in part one, to feel simulated and satisfied, we could activate oxytocin by laying down new patterns of behavior. And that's what the transformational awareness technique will do, is begin to lay down patterns. Step one, with awareness. Step two, with action. You cannot just meditate. You have to take it into action. And that is a complete Vedic thought. This is why most meditations sort of don't work for people, or they stop doing it. I meditated for 10 years and I stopped. I meditated for six months and then I stopped. I meditated and I don't do it. Very few people have the discipline to stick with it because they haven't seen the transformational changes in their life because we haven't taken the final step to take it into action. Now, in the transformational awareness technique, I give you six meditations. The first two, I'm gonna teach you. Part one, I taught you already the first meditation. In part two, I'm gonna teach you the second meditation. Part three, four, five, and six are building levels of awareness, making your nervous system comfortable and calm in this composure, in this silence, and then taking that action into your life. I'm gonna teach you how to take transformational action steps to change old mental and emotional patterns of behavior in the last three or four meditations. So I encourage you to take a look at this. It's a powerful, powerful technique. This idea that we can do nothing and accomplish everything, I, I love the concept. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's too interesting to just not talk more about. And I think about the sun, right? The sun just gives its light and, and, and warmth to the earth, and it doesn't ever get anything in return, right? It doesn't care if the flowers blossom, it doesn't care if you kill its cattle, it doesn't care if you chop down its trees, it just keeps shining and keeps shining and keeps shining. Now, if it did say, oh my God, they're killing my cattle and they're chopping my trees down, they're killing my rainforest, so no sun for Brazil and no sun for Texas because they're killing cattle, that's it. The sun would implode and bad things would happen. I really believe that's our nature, to be like the sun. That our nature, like the sun, is to give fully, to love fully, to be powerful, to be dynamic, to have unlimited human potential. I believe that. But I believe that our mind says, whoa, 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 what if I love them and they don't love me back? What if I give all my energy to them and, and, they, and they don't respond? I could be hurt. 
because I was hurt as a kid and I remember that. So I have these old molecules of emotion stuck in my fat that are remotely making me think and do the same dumb stuff again, which tells me that don't do that because that hurt me when I was six and seven and eight. So you can't do it now when you're 37 and eight and 39. Can't do it. My brain is, is, is blocking me. Well, those are patterns of behavior you had to create as a child. They're perfect. They were perfection. But the game of life is to change childlike patterns, stop playing the child role that you had to play as a child, but start to play the role you were meant to play and start to lay down new pavement, new neural patterns that, are, that free you from patterns of behavior that you had to create as a young child. You see how it works is we're hardwired to want approval from our parents, right? We want them to love us so bad. If we didn't care if our parents loved us, we'd wander in the jungle, get eaten by a lion, and there'd be no people. I mean, it's really that simple. We have genetic wiring to want their approval. That's how it works. As we grow up, we keep trying to get that approval. We want mom and dad to love us. I become a straight-A student. I become a fixer. I clean up for everything. I create a personality that somehow gets them to love me. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes I didn't get that love. It's like a rose got trampled and trampled probably for millions of years. And one day they took a vote and they said, what if we grow some thorns? They'll stop trampling on us. So some of us have grown thorns as a protective pattern to protect us from those old hurt feelings. So, so all of us, even the thorny people, are actually still trying to seek out that approval from mom and dad that genetic wiring. In the animal kingdom, mom and dad, mom lion grows up, baby lion gets big enough, she says, okay, you're gonna go left, I'm going right, I'll see you in the next life. It's over. You gotta fend for yourself and do your thing. You can't feed off mom and mom anymore. You can't get my attention anymore. We as adults, as humans, replace mom and dad with other stuff, coffee, coke, shopping, dopamine activators, as I talked to part one. It's not good enough, we can't do that anymore. We have to play the game of life. In Ayurveda, they call it a battle, the great battle, in fact. I like to call it a game, um, which is where you become more self-aware as you learn to still your mind, as you learn to become more calm, as your nervous system becomes calm, as your whole physiology becomes calm, the lake becomes calm, the body can see more clearly old, yucky problems and dysfunction and repair and fix, and the body becomes more, more in harmony and more in balance, and it begins to function better with more life and more vitality, and you have more mental clarity, more mental clarity to see from the director's chair of your movie, patterns of behavior that you're still projecting on the screen from childhood that aren't serving you any longer and you need to take transformational action to fix them and that's what the transformational awareness technique is all about, is to give you the skills to make transformational change in your life. So as you learn to meditate, you create this transformational awareness where you begin to see that that these old patterns aren't serving you any longer. And that is where the sun feels willing to not stop shining because they're chopping down my trees. It's, it's nature to shine. Where you realize instead of holding back or becoming another person because I think that they're gonna like me if I'm this way or this person will like me if I'm that way or if I give or if I'm a straight A student, they'll like me. What about just being your true self, doing you versus doing them. Many of us, because of our childhood patterns, are still doing them. We're still, and you think about this for a second, how many of us engage in your life, your lifestyle, behavioral patterns with mom and dad and family members, even at work, you're, do, you're acting in a certain way to make them like you and approve you. But what if you just gave yourself fully to them and shined your light on them? Would they feel safe in that sunlight? Would they feel warm in that sunlight? Would they feel safe enough to potentially open up the delicate petals of their protective flower and let the truth of them out? Is there a possibility that you, by doing you fully, will allow them to feel safe in your sunlight and you can actually have a relationship that's actually based on true love with your spouse, with your mom and dad and family members, even with your workers? It's a different kind of love, but it's a connection that's real, that we trust. It's oxytocin. Oxytocin is the trusting, bonding hormone. 
In the movie, The Avatar, when they were climbing up onto the top of that mountain, they were gonna jump on that crazy bird, the Banshee, and, and, and he finally got on the bird and he, he wrapped up the, the tail on it, I guess, and, and he was holding it and, 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 and the woman says, she goes, quickly, first jump seals the bond. And she said, he's gotta jump off this, off this cliff on this crazy bird, the first jump seals the bond. Trust, he had to trust that bird and when he jumped, he sealed the oxytocin bond. It takes a little trust, a little awareness to see that old patterns of behavior aren't serving any longer and new patterns are there for the picking. That there's ripe fruit on this tree that I can give myself fully to my husband and why not? I hold back because for whatever reason, you think he, he, he just wants to watch the game, he's not into yoga, whatever it might be. The reality is, is that he is wanting your approval. And if you give yourself fully to him, the petals in his flower will open, and like a flower follows the sun across the sky, he will follow you around like a puppy. And you will begin to experience true love. We keep waiting for other people to change so we can somehow become ourselves and be our happy-go-lucky selves. And the problem is they never change because we've never given them our full sunlight. To do nothing and accomplish everything means to learn how to meditate, learn how to still your mind, learn to become aware of the opportunities that exist in your life. To the extent that someone or something affects you is the extent that it's an opportunity for you to take a transformational action step and be free. That's what this is about. And that's what the transformational awareness technique is for. So I encourage you to, to, to learn more about this technique. It's a phenomenal technique. Um, and I'm gonna teach you now the, uh, the second meditation, which is the, the uh, breathing meditation. And many of us, when we, when we meditate, we go into the meditation, and then what happens is thoughts come in, and they distract us, and then, we, and then they distract us, and we get distracted, and we can't settle down again. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna use breathing as a powerful anchor to breathe again and then sink down into the meditation. Thoughts will creep in and when they creep in, we're gonna breathe again and then sink down into that meditation. Every time the thoughts come, we're gonna breathe again and sink down into the meditation. Very simple. So we're gonna use your breathing technique, the same bellows breath that I taught you in, in part one. You're gonna use the same breathing technique 15 times every time you have a distracting thought. What's a distracting thought? You're sitting in your meditation, your eyes are closed, now all of a sudden you're starting to think about, I gotta pick up the kids from soccer, I gotta go here, I gotta go there, and all of a sudden you become aware of the fact that you're thinking those thoughts, that's a distracting thought. Having the thoughts is not an issue. Becoming aware that you're thinking about those things, that's when you breathe again 15 times and sink back down through the meditation. You can do this for 15 to 20 minutes, twice a day. You can do that along the way with the, with the uh, one minute meditation that you can still do in your car before you go into the grocery store and keep you know, resetting that calm, resetting that calm, recreating the eye of the hurricane. And the bigger that eye of the storm, the more powerful the winds. And that's what we're after because the more awareness we can create, the more powerful the winds we can create and the more transformational action steps we can take to transform our lives and free ourselves. Okay, so please join me for the transformational awareness technique. I, I know that you'll love it, and I am deeply passionate about it. I really believe it's one of the most powerful techniques that I've taught to date, for sure. It's something that I've been teaching uh, for the last 15 years as part of my Ayurvedic practice when people come here and they do retreats with us. This is the technique I teach them to give them transformational experiences, and it's been nothing short of profound. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're going to do one minute of the bellows breathing. You can uh, do it even for up to two minutes, but in the beginning, we, we sometimes don't have the ability to, to breathe so deeply for so long, but you will gain skills in that department, okay? Okay, so we're going to breathe for about, about a minute, and then we're going to be still, and I'll take you through a couple of uh, reset breaths, and then I'll leave you to meditate for the next 15 minutes on your own. So I'll, I'll thank you for listening now. And uh, here we go. Uh, one minute breathing.
and relax the breath and be perfectly still and meditate. that you're having some distracted thoughts which is completely normal in the beginning and you're just going to bellows again 15 times in the beginning if you have to bellows breathe a lot to pump the oxygen the prana in the brain to still the mind and calm the thoughts is completely fine soon you won't need to breathe anywhere near as often so just be okay with this process the breathing is a powerful anchor to still your mind so please use it so again, we're gonna breathe just 15 times. And relax the breath and be perfectly still and stay in this meditation the next 10 to 15 minutes breathing 15 bellows breath as needed to still your mind and move through any incessant or distracting thoughts. This recording is brought to you by Life Spa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at lifespa.com.